Section 44. How Beggary Was Abolished in Bavaria by Count Rumford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Hirsch. Count Rumford was an American officer who served with considerable distinction in the Revolutionary War in that country, and afterwards settled in England. From thence he went to Bavaria, where he was promoted to the chief command of its army, and also was energetically employed in the civil government. Bavaria, at this time, literally swarmed with beggars, who were not only an eyesore and discredit to the nation, but a positive injury to the state. The Count resolved upon the extinction of this miserable profession, and the following extracts from his writings describe the method by which he accomplished it. Bavaria, by the neglect of the government and the abuse of the kindness and charity of its amiable people, had become infested with beggars, with whom mingled vagabonds and thieves. They were to the body politic what parasites and vermin are to people and dwellings, breeding by the same lazy neglect. Page 14. In Bavaria there were laws which made provisions for the poor, but they suffered them to fall into neglect. Beggary had become general. Page 15. In short, says Count Rumford, these detestable vermin swarmed everywhere, and not only their impudence and clamorous importunity were boundless, but they had recourse to the most diabolical arts and the most horrid crimes in the prosecution of their infamous trade. They exposed and tortured their own children, and those they stole for the purpose, to extort contributions from the charitable. Page 15. In the large towns, beggary was an organized imposture, with a sort of government and police of its own. Each beggar had his beat, with orderly successions and promotions, as with other governments. There were battles to decide conflicting claims, and a good beat was not infrequently a marriage portion or a thumping legacy. Page 16. He saw that it was not enough to forbid beggary by law, or to punish it by imprisonment. The beggars cared for neither. The energetic Yankee statesman attacked the question as he did problems in physical science. He studied beggary and beggars. How would he deal with one individual beggar? Sent him for a month to prison to beg again as soon as he came out? That is no remedy. The evident course was to forbid him to beg but at the same time to give him the opportunity to labor, to teach him to work, to encourage him to honest industry, and the wise ruler sets himself to provide food, comfort, and work for every beggar and vagabond in Bavaria, and did it. Page 17. Count Rumford, wise and just, sets himself to reform the whole class of beggars and vagabonds, and convert them into useful citizens, even those who had sunk into vice and crime. What, he asked himself, is, after the necessities of life, the first condition of comfort? Cleanliness, which animals and insects prize, which in man affects his moral character and which is akin to godliness. The idea that the soul is defiled and depraved by what is unclean 
has long prevailed in all ages. Virtue never dwelt long with filth. Our bodies are at war with everything that defiles them. His first step, after a thorough study and consideration of the subject, was to provide in Munich, and at all necessary points, large, airy, and even elegant houses of industry, and store them with the tools and materials of such manufactures as were most needed and would be most useful. Each house was provided with a large dining room and a cooking apparatus sufficient to furnish an economical dinner to every worker. Teachers were engaged for each kind of labor. Warmth, light, comfort, neatness, and order in and around these houses made them attractive. The dinner every day was gratis, provided at first by the government, later by the contributions of the citizens. Bakers brought stale bread, butchers refuse meat, citizens their broken victuals, all rejoicing in being freed from the nuisance of beggary. The teachers of handicrafts were provided by the government, and while all this was free, everyone was paid the full value for his labor. You shall not beg, but there is comfort, food, work, and pay. There was no ill usage, no harsh language. In five years, not a blow was given even to a child by his instructor. When the preparations for this great experiment had been silently completed, the army, the right arm of the governing power, which had been prepared for the work by its own thorough reformation, was called into action in aid of the police and the civil magistrates. Regiments of cavalry were so disposed as to furnish every town with a detachment, with patrols on every highway, and squads in the villages, keeping the strictest order and discipline, paying the utmost deference to the civil authorities, and avoiding all offense to the people. Instructed when the order was given to arrest every beggar, vagrant, and deserter, and bring them before the magistrates. This military police cost nothing extra to the country beyond a few cantonments, and this expense to the whole country was less than three thousand pounds a year. The first of January, seventeen ninety, New Year's Day, from time immemorial the beggar's holiday, when they swarmed in the streets expecting everyone to give, the commissioned and the non-commissioned officers of three regiments of infantry were distributed early in the morning at different points of Munich to wait for orders. Lieutenant General Count Rumford assembled at his residence the chief officers of the army and principal magistrates of the city, and communicated to them his plans for the campaign. Then, dressed in the uniform of his rank, with his orders and decorations glittering on his breast, setting an example to the humblest soldier, he led them into the street, and had scarcely reached it before a beggar approached, wishing him a happy new year, and waited for the expected aims. I went up to him, says Count Rumford, and laying my hand gently on his shoulder, told him that henceforth begging would not be permitted in Munich, that if he was in need, assistance would be given him, and if detected begging again, he would be severely punished. He was then sent to the town hall, 
his name and residence inscribed upon the register, and he was directed to repair to the military house of industry next morning, where he would find dinner, work, and wages. Every officer, every magistrate, every soldier followed the same example set them. Every beggar was arrested, and in one day a stop was put to beggary in Bavaria. It was banished out of the kingdom. And now let us see what was the progress and success of this experiment. It seemed a risk to trust the raw materials of industry, wool, flax, hemp, etc., to the hands of common beggars. To render debauched and depraved class orderly and useful was an arduous enterprise. Of course, the greater number made bad work at the beginning. For months they cost more than they came to. They spoiled more horns than they made spoons. Employed first in the coarser and ruder manufactures, they were advanced as they improved, and were for some time paid more than they earned. Paid to encourage good will, effort, and perseverance. These were worth any sum. The poor people saw that they were treated with more than justice, with kindness. It was very evident that it was all for their good. At first there was confusion, but no insubordination. They were awkward, but not insensible to kindness. The aged, the weak, and the children were put to the easiest tasks. The younger children were paid simply to look on until they begged to join in the work, which seemed to them like play. Everything around them was made clean, quiet, orderly, and pleasant. Living at their own homes, they came at a fixed hour in the morning. They had at noon a hot, nourishing dinner of soup and bread. Provisions were either contributed or bought wholesale, and the economies of cookery were carried to the last point of perfection. Count Rumford had so planned the cooking apparatus that three women cooked a dinner for one thousand persons at a cost, though wood was used, of four and one-half pennies for fuel, and the entire cost of the dinner for twelve hundred was only one pound seven shillings six and a half pence, or about one-third of a penny for each person. Perfect order was kept at work, at meals, and everywhere. As soon as a company took its place at table, the food having been previously served, all repeated a short prayer. Perhaps, says Count Rumford, I ought to ask pardon for mentioning so old-fashioned a custom, but I own I am old-fashioned enough myself to like such things. These poor people were generously paid for their labor, but something more than cash payment was necessary. There was needed a feeling of emulation, the desire to excel, the sense of honor, the love of glory. Not only pay, but rewards, prizes, distinctions were given to the more deserving. Peculiar care was taken with the children. They were first paid simply for being present, idle lookers-on until they begged with tears to be allowed to work. How sweet those tears were to me, says Count Rumford, can easily be imagined. 
Certain hours were spent by them in a school for which teachers were provided. The effect of these measures was very remarkable. Awkward as the people were, they were not stupid, and learned to work with unexpected rapidity. More wonderful was the change in their manners, appearances, and the very expression of their countenances. Cheerfulness and gratitude replaced the gloom of misery and the sullenness of despair. Their hearts were softened. They were most grateful to their benefactor for themselves, still more for their children. These worked with their parents, forming little industrial groups, whose affection excited the interest of every visitor. Parents were happy in the industry and growing intelligence of their children, and the children were proud of their own achievements. The great experiment was a complete and triumphant success. When Count Rumford wrote his account of it, it had been five years in operation. It was financially a paying speculation, and had not only banished beggary, but had wrought an entire change in the manners, habits, and very appearance of the most abandoned and degraded people in the kingdom. Count Rumford, pages 18-24 through 24. Are the poor ungrateful? Count Rumford did not find them so. When, from the exhaustion of his great labors, he fell dangerously ill, these poor people whom he had rescued from lives of shame and misery spontaneously assembled, formed a procession, and went in a body to the cathedral to offer their united prayers for his recovery. When he was absent in Italy, and supposed to be dangerously ill in Naples, they set apart a certain time every day, after work hours, to pray for their benefactor. After an absence of fifteen months, Count Rumford returned with renewed health to Munich, a city where there was work for everyone, and not one person whose wants were not provided for. When he visited the military workhouse, the reception given him by these poor people drew tears from the eyes of all present. A few days after, he entertained eighteen hundred of them in the English garden, a festival at which thirty thousand of the citizens of Munich assisted. Count Rumford, pages 24 and 25. End of section 44. Recording by Tom Hirsch.